0: We hope today's message will encourage you and strengthen you with God's Word. We are certainly living in a world that is constantly changing, but God's Word will always be true. The Bible tells us that God is unchanging and will always be all-knowing, all-powerful, the creator and sustainer of life. God's Word is truth and life, and we are thankful for the opportunity to share His Word with you each week. This sermon was recorded at Rolling Fork Baptist Church in Nelson County. You can find out more information by visiting rollingforkbc.com or find us on Facebook, listed as Rolling Fork Baptist Church of Boston, Kentucky. And now, let's listen in to this week's message. Heavenly Fathers, we begin this message. I pray that you'd help us to understand the importance of the church and what a church is and what a church does, and why it's important to this world. Fill us with wisdom. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. On your sheet you'll see where we're going with this today, and this is based off of a book that I'm reading right now called How to Build a Healthy Church by Mark Dever and Paul Alexander. And this is from the Nine Marks Uh, organization which is not a scheme or a program to build your church. It is pointing everything that they do to the Bible and saying, this is why we do what we do. So when we talk about the local church, you see on your sheet that God intends for the local church to be the corporate display of his glory and wisdom both to unbelievers and to unseen spiritual powers. And I've given you the references that are tied to each one of these. Because of COVID this past year, a lot of folks have gotten used to A, not going to church, B, watching it online only. And because of A or B, they've gotten away from the gathering And I want you to know that this idea of virtual church is actually an oxymoron. Because virtual means not physically existing, but yet church means the gathering or the assembly of the believers. And we are called to gather, and I thank you for coming today. How can we obey John 13 in your passage there, if we are not gathered together. Jesus said, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. But how can we share love with one another if we're not with one another? And in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, it says, So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be now known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. How can we make the the manifold wisdom of God known to the people if we are not gathered together like we should be? The second statement that you have this morning is this, that more specifically, we are a corporate dwelling place for God's spirit the organic body of Christ, in which he magnifies his glory. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul calls us fellow citizens with the saints. He says that we are members of the household of God. We are a corporate dwelling. We are together, as we come together, we are the dwelling place for God's Spirit. Now, I understand totally that the Bible does say that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and that God dwells within you, and that is true. But when we come together in worship, we do so in obedience to God. And as we do so, we are strengthened and encouraged by one another. We are the organic body of Christ. We need to come together and understand what it means to be visual as the church. So when people drive by this morning and they see the cars in the parking lot, then they know that something's going on there. That it's not an empty parking lot and nobody showed up. In Acts chapter 9, when Paul was converted, Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. He he didn't say, Paul, why are you persecuting the church? He says, you're persecuting me. Why? Because the church is the body of Christ. And as we come together, we learn to function as the body, each one using their gifts as God has given them to you. I I think about how many times uh, maybe my foot has gone to sleep or, or, or maybe my my hand has a cramp in it, and you're like, okay, my body's not working like normal. As the body of Christ, as we come together and serve Him, we work together and we build each other up in love. The third statement says that the Greek word for church is ecclesia, and again, meaning the gathering. Or the congregating of the people. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter said that we were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A people of his own possession. And that by doing so, we would be doing this. We would be proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. Now, how can we be a chosen nation or a chosen race if we don't come together? How can we act like a people of God's own possession if we don't honor God, obey God, and glorify God? And, and then the fourth statement on your sheet is that the uniqueness of the church is her message, and the message is and always will be the gospel. This is what we sung about today, about the cross. Everything in the Old Testament pointed towards the cross. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John talked about the life of Christ here on earth, and of course the the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, and then everything afterwards was pointing towards not only back to the cross, but also forward as the church advanced. And please understand this, every religion in the world as far as I can think of, deals with how good you are. Your works. If you did enough, if you earned it. Christianity is exactly the opposite. It's not based upon your goodness, because the Bible is very clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It's not because of your status. We are not saved because of our merit. We are only saved by the grace of God, through the mercy of God, by the love of God. And because of the gospel and because of this body of Christ being evident, we have what we know as two ordinances. We illustrate the gospel by the baptism of believers and by the Lord's Supper, which we will be sharing in a little while. The baptism, an outward sign of an inward change. Buried with Christ and raised to a new life. The Lord's Supper. The piece of bread, the wafer. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you, the cup. This is the blood that was shed for you. So we have all this symbolized. And it is the gospel. So the distinguishing marks of the church then are the right preaching of the gospel and the right administration of the biblical ordinances that dramatize it. And again, look at that phrase, the right preaching of the gospel. I want you to understand something. There are many versions of the gospel out there, but there's only one true gospel. In some places, Paul said, I'm surprised that you have already turned from the true gospel and turned to something else. For example, I've already told you that the gospel is all about what Jesus did and not what you do and what I do. And yet some gospels say, well, it's all about you. You decide, you, you do what you want to do and do your best for God, and if you're good enough, you get to go to heaven. You've got the prosperity gospel, that God wants you to be rich and healthy all the time. You've got the opposite of that, where God wants you to be poor And give everything that you have away. There's so many different variances. But the true gospel is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Jesus is the only one who is building His church. He said in Matthew chapter 16 verse 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But He has graciously allowed us to participate in the construction process. And it's according to the biblical blueprint that we find. So how do we build it? Well, in the second session there, you see that uh, the gospel itself is God's constructive power for the building of the body of Christ. Listen to these words in Isaiah chapter 55. For as the rain and the snow fall down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout Giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing which I send it. God's word has power. And it's God's word that gives us new life. Paul uh, said in Romans chapter one, verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. And, and First Peter, he said that we were saved by the living and abiding word of God. So on your sheet number two, we see that the, the, the word builds the church, not the people, not the programs, not the special effects or whatever else it is. The church is distinguished by the message that we have that Jesus Christ is the only way. So number three, we must uh, make sure that we faithfully preach it and fearlessly call for repentance. We, We worry about what people may say if we call them to repentance. But listen, God says, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. We serve a risen Savior, and our job is to tell others about Jesus Christ and to call them to repentance and belief. This means that theology, which is the study of God and how he works, is what drives us. It means that God's method drives our method. And the gospel both enables and informs our participation in God's process. God enables us to do it, and God informs us what we're supposed to be doing as we study his word. Now, look at number four on your sheet in this section. Please make sure that you get this. Prior to this lesson, if I was to ask you, how would you describe a successful church? Some people in this world would say, well, if they have a lot of nickels and a lot of noses. In other words, if there's a lot of people and a lot of money. That's not what God says. Faithfulness to the gospel is the measure of success, not the results. We are to be faithful to God no matter what, because God is the only one who gives the increase. Paul says, I planted the seed, Apollos watered, but God gives the growth. And we are not to try to do God's part and and try to create things that's not real. That's why it says on your sheet that the only God causes real growth, and he does so by the gospel. You know the passage in Romans chapter 10. How then will they call upon him and who they've not believed? And how will they believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? And then later it says that faith comes from hearing God. And hearing through the word of Christ. And when we talk about the gospel, here's your great way to explain it. We we've said for years that the gospel is a holy God, sinful man, perfect sacrifice, and new man. Well, here we see that God is our holy creator and righteous judge. He's created us to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever, but we have sinned both in Adam as our representative head and also in our own individual actions. So because of that, we deserve death, spiritual separation from God, going to hell. Because of our spiritual nature, because of our spiritual stillbornness, if you will, being helpless in our sins and, and in need of God to, to give us spiritual life. And then you talk about Jesus Christ. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man, to die that the death that we deserved, and God raised Him up for our justification, proving that He was God's Son. I want you to think about this. What's the significance in Jesus being fully God and fully man? If Jesus was not fully man, then He couldn't die. If He was not fully God, He would not be fully holy. God created a puzzle in Jesus Christ that fulfilled both sides of the equation. Fully God, fully man, the death that he experienced, he felt just as if you and I were to go through what he went through. The pain, the agony, the, the, the pressure. And yet, God raised him from the dead. So if we would have Christ's perfect righteousness credited to us, and the penalty of our sins accounted to him, then we must repent and believe in the gospel And again, what I tell you earlier, God enables us and informs us. Aren't you glad that faith and repentance are gifts that God gives you? You don't have to create these. You don't have to wonder about, well, how do I know if this is real or not? If it's from God, it is real. And so we praise God for that this morning. The gospel alone is what God uses for his people to create a people for himself. If you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, how can you not be grateful for what God has done through Jesus Christ? And as we celebrate the Lord's Supper today, again, just thinking about the price that was paid that you and I could never pay, and it was paid for us. Jesus took the wrath of God and paid the price. Now, here's the question. What will it cost? Your sheet says it's easy to be faithful when you're seeing success. After all, success is what silences the skeptics. Yet we have said that visible results cannot be the metric by which we measure our ministries, which raises a disturbing question. What if the immediate results are not what you envisioned? It would be so easy to say, well, I, I would love to see uh, people just coming and coming and coming for Christ and being baptized and, and, and the church growing in number and spirit and everything else. You're just picturing all these things. But you need to understand that that's not necessarily the sign of a faithful or a healthy church. I love the quote that Mark Devers says, whatever you win them with, you have to keep them with. And so if we were to use a bunch of gimmicks, if we were to, to bring them in because of whatever gimmick you're thinking about, we would have to keep them with that or else they would go someplace else who had a better show. We bring them together for the word of God. It is the purpose for which we are here. The third thing there is if you commit to a healthy church, you've got to prepare yourself for a cross-shaped life and ministry. There's going to be some times that you will find it not as easy as you thought it was going to be. There'll be some times that you have to, to, to pay a price that you was hoping not to pay. Sometimes that you've got to do some things that might be uncomfortable for you. You you may have some people uh, turn against you because you are obeying God. But listen, God said again, if you are ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. And so we got to make sure that we do the right thing. And our death to self in ministry is part of what God uses to create life in others. In closing, let me say this. Jesus suffered, leaving us an example that we might follow his steps. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, Having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Jesus Christ obeyed God to the very letter. In the garden, he said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he said, not my will, but thy will be done. So this morning as we come to a close and prepare for the Lord's Supper, here's what I want you to do, please. I want you to ask yourself, how committed are you right now? Christ and how committed are you to his church when somebody becomes a member of our church we have them sign a church membership covenant and it's based upon four areas listen to these areas very quickly the first one is I will protect the unity of my church by acting in love toward one another by seeking reconciliation with other members who, when problems arise, by refusing to gossip, by following the leaders. Number two, I will share the responsibility of my church by praying for its growth, by inviting the lost and unchurched to attend, and by warmly welcoming those who visit. I will serve the ministry of our church by being equipped to serve by a pastor, by developing a servant's heart, by discovering my ministry. And I will support the testimony of the church by attending faithfully, by learning and applying spiritual disciplines to my life, by living a godly life, and by giving regularly. This morning, I want you to think about your commitment to Christ and to His church. We can build a healthy church. There are some areas that we are healthy, and then some that we're not as healthy as we should be. So let this be our halftime, where we go into the locker room and we make the adjustments. And Jesus Christ is our coach, and he tells us what we should be doing. Will you please join me in prayer before we sing this song together? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your words. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to share them today. And I pray that you'd help us to make these commitments real. As you work in us, as you give us the ability to do so, help us to be uh, the church that you've called us to be. And we ask this in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.